This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most Popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chicago everywhere, check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. I love baseball like that. <laughs> that was that was, uh, that was the best and the worst of what baseball can offer you right there. Some terrific plays made in the end, just and some horrific, horrific defense, top to bottom. Six errors in total. In the Guardians, I got to make sure I don't say the other name. The Guardians versus the White Sox. Welcome into episode 101 of the Full Go podcast. My name is Jason Goff. Of course, this is the Full Go with Jason Goff. Brought to you by The Ringer. And of course, Spotify is the gang. I can't wait for uh, us to introduce a newer member to the show in the next episode. So stay tuned for that. But as always, the active voice of Jesse Lopez. And of course, the shadowy figure that is Steve Cerruti. Uh, patrolling this podcast. So the Sox failed to win their seventh game in a row. We just finished watching it. Took an hour, an hour later than we thought it was going to take. We we scheduled to take this thing at around 1030. It's now 1129 Central. So Sox got our asses up way past our bedtimes. But hey, what are you going to do? The, one of the first really, really good days and nights of the season for Chicago. To be honest with you, weather-wise, weather's been absolutely uh, catastrophic over the last month or so. Not much sun, a whole bunch of rain, and a whole bunch of cold. Today, it kind of evened out. If you were out and about, uh, enjoy yourself this entire week. Uh, It was, what, a high of 80 today and got down to, what, like 62, 63 or whatever. Nice little breeze coming off the lake. The Sox did what they had to do for the first eight innings of the ball game. (laughs) And then in the ninth inning, Six runs scored by the Guardians in the ninth inning. The Sox kicked around the baseball all night long. It started with Gavin Sheets' error out in uh, <laughs> out in, out in right field, and uh, the Cleveland Guardians broadcasters uh, they 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 um they forgot they were on the air apparently. 
Uh, Gavin Sheets, routine fly ball to right field. You figure big league outfielder is going to nab that, secure that catch, get yourself an out, throw it back to the infield. But no, this is how it went down. Jesse, do we have the play? Let's go ahead and run it. I think they're both be on the same page, but shocking to me. There's a ball hit toward right field. Sheets coming in. Drops the ball! The Guardians will score first as Quan comes home. Into second base is Owen Miller. And Sheets just simply botched it. Yeah, I think that should be um, isolated for the rest of this season because I feel like that statement is going to be said on this podcast and, of course, um, throughout baseball. And a podcast should start utilizing like isolating will sound like that by the way we need to get ourselves like a, a 360 digital on this podcast it's I might replay. Shell out. that's what we need yeah i might yeah, yeah i might i might shell out for uh for one of those machines so we could take this thing up to the next level but yeah shout out to bally sports thank you so much for letting us use that audio yes are you shitting me is something that the the cubs or the cubs the Sox, and the guardians could have said all game long. This was the Josh Naylor game, by the way, and and I'll say it like this. A guy hits a grand slam to go ahead, you probably don't throw to him or pitch to him the second time around in the same situation with men on base. He hit a three-run homer to go ahead again. Josh Naylor, I believe, tonight had two home runs and eight RBIs. The 11th inning home run pretty much sealed the deal for him, 12-9 to for the Guardians. The Guardians aren't a good baseball team. Right, I mean Jose Ramirez is outstanding. Uh, they, <laughs> Fran Mil Reyes has not really got it going this year at all. Um, they they hit around Zach Plesac, so you, you figure you get rid of their starter. He was upset when he had to come out the game. Is Yoan Moncada's first game back? Joe Kelly gives you a, a scoreless inning, first game back. I mean this 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 game was set up for the Sox to win. I look up, it's what eight to two, eight to one. You you. Easy breezy, right? I, I I went and hooped today. So I come in during the seventh inning. I see the score. I see Tim Anderson is over three. The moment I, I see Tim Anderson walk to the plate, next thing you know, he gets himself, a, a I believe, a run-scoring double over the center fielder's head. Uh, center fielder bobbled. This, this is what I would like to say, too, before we get into some more of the specifics of the game. I don't know if major league hitting coaches are going to um, – counterpunch what they're seeing right now but scoring in baseball is down home runs are down and if you are still building your team or still going about things like you can just hit the ball in the air and get yourself some runs that's not the case that's not the case right now in baseball whether it be the humidor issue whether it be the baseballs being cooked a little bit um scoring is down so if you make contact more times than not, especially what I've seen early on in this baseball season, not just with the Cubs, not just with the White Sox, but around Major League Baseball, there's a there's an epidemic of poor defense being played. Guys thrown to the wrong base, guys missing the cutoff, man, guys just botching routine fly balls that happened uh, for the Cleveland Guardians later on in this game as well. The left fielder for the Guardians, I believe, dropped a, a, a routine fly ball in the eighth inning or the ninth inning. So here's a note. Here's a little, you know, little tip. I know, you know, guy, you guys know me. I'm the I'm the baseball savant, Jason Goff. I don't know if y'all knew that was my name out here I, in these streets, you know, recreating myself every every turn, you know. Mess around, you know, started out as a radio guy doing TV now. Why can't I flip to being the baseball dude? Everybody else calls themselves the baseball dude in this city, don't know shit about the game. I can mess around and do the same damn thing. If people can't pick up the baseball, you got to have solid contact. You got to have better at bats. We're not even going to talk about the Cubs side of things. They lost five in a row, and, you know, Frank, Frank the Tank Swindell gets sent down. And uh, the offense for the White Sox has been below average to start this season. And you, you thought that they'd find a series hopefully this Cleveland Guardian series, where you put up a 30 spot. Let me see 25 runs out of you. Let me see you bash the baseball because the weather has is, is, uh, improved. Because the bullpen and the starting pitching have held you down so far to a 500 record. And then they get on a winning streak. I mean, hell, they beat the Angels, they beat the Cubs twice, and then they beat the Red Sox three times. They beat the Red Sox three times by scoring, what, five or six runs, something crazy like that? 
Dallas Keuchel, who had, what, 10, 11 walks his previous two starts, goes out there and gives you a quality start. I mean, the bullpen has been outstanding. It has been outstanding. Aaron Bummer, who struggled a little bit, got himself back together, then gets thrown on the IL because of uh, knee soreness, I believe it is. So right now, I mean, if you're a Sox fan, and I'm a Sox fan, it's not going to stop raining, it seems like. So what has to happen is this team has to make better decisions. I don't pitch to Josh Naylor in that situation. I don't. I simply don't. You pitch around him. You don't give him something to hit. You mess around and groove something. You got yourself an 8-RBI night. I don't pitch to, to Josh Naylor. And I don't try some of the things. And this is, this is a, a baseball IQ thing, right? We talk a lot about basketball IQ, right? And, and we, we really don't talk about football smarts that often. but. We can get into that conversation some other time, but we talk a lot about basketball IQ. Well, baseball IQ is something that I am watching, especially after the playoff series against the Houston Astros last uh, season. This team is talented enough, but base running, fielding, and also understanding the situation. There was a situation where a runner had made it to third base late in this ball game, and Tim Anderson, who collects the baseball after a hit, throws it behind the runner and, and kind of throws it off target. Now, this is after Tim Anderson missed a cutoff throw and it was a two-base error. You, you commit four errors in a baseball game, you deserve to lose. The Sox committed four errors and almost won this thing, but they decided then to pitch to Josh Naylor. And the other thing, too, A.J. Pollock's been horrible all season. He started out, you know, a few couple, couple games in, into the season, started out well, but he hadn't hit the ball well. He, he gets his first home run. Like, there are so many things that you think, if you, if you mark down, okay, Joe Kelly comes back, scoreless inning. Um, Yoan Moncada's season debut, gets on base once or twice, gets himself a walk, right? Michael Kopech goes out there. Michael Kopech now has the lowest ERA of any starter in Major League Baseball right now, if I'm not mistaken, the 93 Still can't get himself a win out here. So Sox got to figure it out. I know this is only one game. I know they won six in a row previous to this. But you put yourself in a little bit of a hole with this offense and with this defense early on in the season. So, yeah, you got to reel off 9 out of 10, 10 out of 11, 11 out of 12, whatever the case may be, just so you can feel not feel good about yourself, but put yourself back where you're supposed to be because the Minnesota Twins started out like they were supposed to, like the Sox were supposed to, to be honest with you. So, yes, Tony La Russa will be questioned, as he should be. Uh, the Sox defense will be questioned, as it should be. And the Sox bats will continue to be questioned, even though they put up a nine spot tonight. Got to see this team throw up crooked number after crooked number, start to bail these starters and this bullpen out a little bit. Hell yeah, Liam Hendricks, get up, get warmed up, sat back down, and then Banks and, and all these other dudes get thrown out there. And you're like, all right, got to throw him back in there. Got to warm him back up again. Getting, getting closers warmed up and sitting them down and then warming back up again, I'm never a fan of. But when you don't have a closing situation, what do you expect? So. And, and this is the other thing, the, the, wasted, the wasted opportunity and the wasted outing of Matt Foster. Matt Foster now, four or five outings in a row, and, and, and we talked about it a couple of pods ago, and I've been tweeting about it, at Jason1Golf, if you want to follow me. Matt Foster has earned himself that eighth inning. You only got two lefties in the bullpen right now with Aaron Bummer going on the injured list. So... Matt Foster is going to have to get righties and lefties out in a lot of, a lot of situations because you got Souza, you got, I'm sorry, you got D'Souza and you got, um, you got Banks, if I'm not mistaken. So <laughs> Matt Foster is going to have his responsibilities heightened. Now he got touched up a little bit, but didn't give up a run. You go to the bullpen thinking that you got a six, seven, eight run lead and you end up losing the damn ball game. That's a tough loss. It's the most runs allowed in the ninth inning this season. They gave up six runs in the ninth inning. That's not championship baseball. That's not playoff baseball. So I've talked to Isaac Ian about this before and, and some people around baseball and around the White Sox. And a game like this, more times than not, they say, all right, you flush it. What's more important is how they come out tomorrow. Cleveland Guardians got after their asses. You cannot groove a, a, a 1-0 cutter 
to the hottest hitter in the park. Got to play better baseball. Got to run the bases better. You got to pick up the damn baseball. Josh Naylor tonight became the first player in MLB history to hit two three-run home runs in the ninth inning or later of the same game. First time it's ever happened in, in MLB history. And you know why? Because maybe you don't pitch to Josh Naylor. Maybe you pitch around him in a situation where you got one out and, and men on base. I'm not worried about Josh Naylor's. I'm not worried about his wheels beating me, you know? It's a stocky man. <laughs> it's a big dude. I'm worried about his bat beating me. And then, because there was only at that point maybe a good 11, 12, 13,000 left in the ballpark, ooh-wee, the boom mic picked up all of Josh Naylor's shit talking. Oh, 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 he said he wanted all the smoke and kept saying it and throwing an F in, in there too. All the F in smoke. I'm like, all right, you, you wanted it and you got it. It is. Those are the things where if you do that, you could talk all the shit you want. If you, if you go crazy for seven RBIs after the ninth inning of a baseball game, hey, it's your world, squirrel. You've come to our city. You can, you can hang out with our ladies. You can drink our beer. You can defile our homes because you earned it. You feel me? Josh Naylor walked in to Guaranteed Ray Field, found the biggest coffee table, and put his junk on it for everybody to see and admire and take a gander. So now the Sox have to take it back to the lab. Liam Hendricks has been out there too many times for me in the last five or six days. So now you go into next game with your bullpen being, you know, scarred a little bit. First game of a series, you get to a, a team's bullpen and more importantly, get to a team's closer. Oh, yeah. The next two games, if it's a three-game series, the next four games, if it's a three, if it's, uh, I should say, the next three games, if it's a four-game series, you, you stand that person right in the eye because you already know you can get the best of them, and you have. So Sox got to come out tomorrow and, whew, Figure this thing out. They're one in three in extra innings this season, by the way. That can't continue if a Tony La Russa team is out there on the field. Tony La Russa is supposed to be the moves guy. He's supposed to be, you know, the, the guy who's always two or three steps ahead. I know he can't manage over bad defense. I know you can't manage over poor pitching. But in that instance, I don't know if I pitched to Josh Naylor. Now, maybe I'm an idiot. And there's probably no maybe about it. It's, it's guaranteed that I'm an idiot. But yeah, that ain't it. That ain't it, ladies and gentlemen. That was a that was a tough, tough ball game to take in, especially when you're gliding, thinking that, all right, this is going to be a win. I'm going to jump on the pod, hang out with my guy. You know, that kind of thing. Say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, you know, and, and all the people celebrating. I come in here now, I, I didn't say shit about Mother's Day. I don't even want to talk about Mother's Day. You feel me? You know, let's fast forward to Father's Day when it, on Juneteenth. So I got it. Did you know Father's Day was on Juneteenth, Jesse? No. I just thought yeah. it was a Sunday, but I didn't see that it was Father's, Father's Day. Father's Day falls on Juneteenth this year. Oh man. So, so 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 <laughs> so I I get to celebrate Father's Day while also celebrating the emancipation of, of all of our people. <laughs> so so I get to, I guess, get a card while also feeling like I, you know should be solemn because of what the ancestors went That's through. It's a very confusing you know? emotion. I'm telling <laughs> you. know? But shout out to all the mothers out there and shout out to all the people out there who uh, who don't have their mothers. And hopefully you found some, some moments of joy and uh, reflection, like I mentioned on Twitter. Hopefully you found some moments of joy and reflection uh, in the, uh, the times that you used to share. But yeah, man, everybody had a good weekend. Sox playing the, their asses off, and then they, they run into the tough Cleveland Guardian crew and Josh Naylor, who now owns. He could, he could do the A-Rod, right? He could, he could say now, I own the White Sox. If it's just for one day, right? And, and, and being the man in Chicago on a summer day, oh, my God. You kidding me? I wonder what Josh Naylor is getting ready to do. Baseball players have it made in the shade with a glass of lemonade, boy. You get to go to, uh, you know, really cool cities three days in a row and bang, jump here, jump there. All right, I'm in Boston this week. All right, I'm going to be in Chicago this week. I'm going to be in Tampa next week, right? If you're Josh Naylor and you live in Cleveland, 
Right? So your shit is, your situation is already fucked up. So if you're Josh Naylor and you live in Cleveland and you went out there and did something that nobody has done in the history of the game, oh yeah, oh yeah. Stakes on everybody else but me. You feel me? Save y'all asses. Let's go out to Gene and Georgetti's or let's go out to Gibson's or let's go out to Steak 48 or, you know, let, 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 let's catch up somewhere. Everybody, hey, how you like your steaks? I know how I like mine because y'all are buying me one tonight because we kicking it because I'm the man. I, I went out there and kicked the Sox ass single-handedly. That dumb motherfucker chose to pitch to me and I launched that shit and then told everybody in the, in the stadium, I'm here for all the smoke. Damn right, Josh Naylor. I like to see performances like that, especially when dumb decisions are made and dumb baseball is played by the team I root for. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. The full goal with Jason Goff. As I mentioned in the first segment, I can't say it enough. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, got a chance to hang out with my mom for a few minutes on Mother's Day. Uh, got a chance to see her back-to-back days, which doesn't happen very often, especially because of my schedule. Now that the season is over, hope to see moms as much as I possibly can. But she came through and we hung out a little bit. And um, yeah, man, you gotta you, you gotta love moms. You gotta you gotta protect moms. And, and speaking of that, uh, the NBA has the NBA has a problem. The NBA has an issue on its hand. Uh, in the Mavs Suns game the other night. Chris Paul uh, had an interaction with a fan, uh, a young fan, Dallas Mavericks fan who was wearing, I believe, a Luka Doncic jersey, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who was sitting close to courtside behind the mother and wife of Chris Paul. Now, there are different reports about what happened. And by the way, this is while Chris Paul is having uh, one, of the, one of the worst games uh, of the series. And Chris, you know, seems like, I don't know. It seems like something's bothering them. But, of course, the Mavs, they, they go to win the game 111 to 101 on Sunday. Uh, but that, that wasn't what we were talking about after the game. What we were talking about after the game is what the hell just happened on the sidelines. So this is from CNN. said so the game was overshadowed by an incident involving Suns guard Chris Paul's family. ESPN reporter Dave McMenamin reported from a source familiar with the situation that Mavs fans allegedly touched Paul's mother and pushed his wife in front of Paul's children. In a video seen on social media, a fan wearing a Mavs jersey is being escorted out of the building with an angry Paul yelling, hey, 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 I'll see you later. I'll see you later. So... It's not clear that the fan was the one who allegedly got physical with Paul's family after the game. Paul wasn't asked about the incident by the reporters, but he did go on Twitter, y'all. He said this, and I quote, one of five players for saying stuff to the fans, but the fans can put their hands on our families. Fuck that. The Mavs also said the Dallas Mavericks are aware of an incident between a fan and the family of Chris Paul. It was unacceptable behavior and will not be tolerated. The Mavericks, along with American Airlines Center, swiftly removed the fan from today's game. And it is apparent that uh, the, the fan will be barred for a year from the stadium. Now, I'll say this. Um, the optics on this thing are what they are. And what's getting ready to happen here in the next, I believe, year, if not in these playoffs, a fan is going to get seriously fucking hurt by one of these NBA players. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to y'all and play the sports radio or podcaster game of, you know, you should be above this and you should understand that's part of the payment and that's part of what you have to go through. As an NBA player or as a professional athlete, you got to be bigger than what's going on around you. And I will say, like Chris Paul said at the end of his tweet, fuck that. We've come to a point, um, not just in our sporting society, but in society in general, that people believe that they can get away with anything because the law kind of precludes you from putting your hands on a person, right? No matter what they're doing, you should be able to call whatever authority figure is around and have that person removed, have that person arrested, have that person um, 
chastised, whatever the case may be. But there should be a show of swift and and um, direct and stern um, retribution when you, you you move around the way that some of these fans are moving around. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, on the heels of the Will Smith thing, where there was 70,000 think pieces out there about what what black men have to go through in terms of, you know, protecting their loved ones and how it's not a part of the culture that we should be celebrating, that, that we're putting hands on people just for perceived slights and all this other. Chris Rock and Will Smith is one thing. Uh, you touching, putting your hands on, pushing, confronting, or doing anything to uh, my mother or my wife is another thing. I saw so many people on Twitter, and I know Twitter ain't the real world, but boy, is it a reflection of some real assholes. I saw so many people on Twitter putting on a cape for this young man, talking about, this is a kid. What, what do you mean? This is a kid. This is a child. He's with his mom. His, his mom was escorting him out, saying, don't say anything. Put his head down. And this is the, the information that I got Im- immediately, just like you guys got. So if there's other information that comes out, we can address it on another pod. But I will tell you this. I wanted that kid, and I'm sorry, this is my first thought. I wanted that kid to be deemed older the way young black boys are. And there's been studies done on it. You can go to the APA, which is the American Psychological Association. You can go to the, uh, there was a, um, an NPR li- recently, I think recently, an NPR piece that was thrown out there about uh, young black boys being deemed older than they actually are by pos- positions of authority, whether it be schools, teachers, uh, police, security guards, whatever the case may be. All you got to look at is... The young black boys that we've seen harmed on video always thought to be older. Meanwhile, meanwhile, courtside at a Dallas Mavericks Phoenix Suns game, a young man who seems to be at least a good six feet, six foot one with earrings in his ear and a pretty adult haircut sitting, mind you, there with his mom. And I think he had, like, what seemed to be his little brother with him as well. I'm sure we'll get more details about uh, this young man's background. But I'm sorry. He needed his ass whooped on the spot. On the spot. And y'all can get mad at me all y'all want. Y'all can talk that shit about uh, promoting and propagating violence and all this other stuff. Yeah, all right. If you are the person that is going to allow someone to touch, physically confront, um, or I, I read the statement, um, give an unwanted hug, because apparently that's how it's being spun, that, that the fan was trying to give hugs to Chris Paul's mom and Chris Paul's uh, wife. I, and the, 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 the backlash that I got by putting out there on Twitter that this young man, forget the basketball game, he needed his ass whooped. Needed hands and feet put on him. You know why? Too many of y'all running around out here thinking that you could be a part of the show just because you bought a fucking ticket. We have all witnessed it too, by the way. Hell, it happened on our NBC Sports Chicago set. Um, what was it? Halloween night, if I'm not mistaken. Close to it, we had a fan run onto the set with a Benny the Bull he- mas- uh, mascot head on and a Tony Kukoc jersey turn around and point to the jersey behind, point to the name on the jersey, right? And my man Steve G rushed his ass off the stage, bum-rushed him, physically moved him off the stage. My man Kendall Gill, who was a professional boxer, 15-year NBA veteran, he didn't see it coming from the left. I saw him running up, and I didn't flinch. You know why? Because I knew I had people there that was going to whoop his ass. So if you want to go back to, you know, the, the the fans running on the field, beating up the hidden coach for the Kansas City Royals low those many years ago and then doing it the next year, I believe. You know, Chicago White Sox fans, is a, it's a sour moment for us. But, you know, the Legues, I believe they were called. The, the father and son, you know, hillbilly combo that ran onto the field and beat the shit out of the, the, the hidden coach for the Royals. They needed their ass whooped too. I'm sorry. We... It, 
NBA especially, the NBA especially, when the optics that the NBA has, you have a majority black workforce on the court. You have courtside, all right? If you if you ever been courtside in an NBA game, if you ever took a gander, there's usually a lot of money courtside, right? Whether it be athletes, entertainers, you know, the get it girls who who just showed up and you're like, oh, yeah, the Lakers must be in town. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you you know what it is. I I never forget going going back to my Atlanta days. Yeah, it was different when the Celtics were in town or the Magic or something like that. Yeah, when the Lakers in town, when the Knicks in town, it brings out a different crew. It brings out a different um, shall we say, selection of people. So you know who's court side. You've got people who can get tickets because they are somebody. And then you got people who can afford tickets because they are somebody. What's happening here is you've got, you got a real weird situation where the participants are being allowed to be treated like animals. You're allowed, if you're an owner, a few years ago, to put your hands on a fan in the Golden State Warriors game. I believe it was, who, who, who was the player? who um, got into it. It was Kyle Lowry. It was Kyle Lowry during the Raptors-Golden State Warriors finals. And the, and the fan that we thought was just an asshole fan who pushed Kyle Lowry off of him because Kyle jumped into the stands, we found out was an owner, was a part owner of the Golden State Warriors. Okay? I'm sure this kid is well off too, right? By his haircut and his earrings and... You know, the mom was, you know, you could tell mom, mom, you could tell money when you see it, right? So that kid now can move around like, yeah, man, you know, I, I got kicked out of Mavs Arena, but I'm only gone for a year because I wanted to hug, quote unquote, Chris Paul's mom and his wife. Nah, man. And I'm not saying Chris Paul should have done it because he is working. But just like how Dave Chappelle had that dude bounce off of him, when he, when, he, when he was on stage, yeah, somebody need to clean that up. Security, uh, the assistant coaches who ain't really doing shit, you know, those second-row assistant coaches, whatever the case may be, a dude who is in street clothes, somebody needed to put hands on that kid in that moment because this shit has to stop. Because what's getting ready to happen is, if not these playoffs next year, if the NBA and Adam Silver doesn't address this fan interaction uh, with NBA players' problem or NBA players' families, like, we had a whole year where Russell Westbrook's kids and wife couldn't come to the game because people were being assholes. And I know you might say, oh, that's what you get paid all that money for, $40 million, $42 million. Nah, man, knock it off. We've seen it here in Chicago. We've seen it in every major city. Fans don't have a right to interfere with the game or the participants. And I'm going to tell you now, you interfere with the participants' family, that's interfering with the game. Family is off limits. And on Mother's Day, you, you really think all it, and, and it really showed me something because all of the people who were saying, that's too much, Jason, or, you, you know, that's a kid. Common theme with all those people that were at least talking to me that way. And it was a common theme of the people who understood that this young man, not kid, young man, it wouldn't have been out of the realm of reasonability if hands and feet would have been put on his ass. Wouldn't have been out of the realm. Now, I'm going to let you guess who those people were that agreed with me on that part and the people who were so against it so against harming children. All right. Take a look at it. There's a brewing issue in the NBA. Somebody's going to have to put a stop to it. It could either be Adam Silver or it could be the hands of an NBA player. I think NBA fans and the NBA better decide really soon here what the outcome is going to be because it's going to happen again and you're going to fuck around and find out that your favorite NBA player isn't just a smiling number, isn't just a dude wearing shoes. These are people out there. These guys are going through real life out there. I know you think because you make a lot of money, you can, you can just deal with anything. No, nah, man, that ain't the case. That's not the case. 
You're going to find out that these dudes are having hard days, too. You're going to find out that they're going through relationship issues, too. You're going to find out that they're going to take it out on your face. So if you are an NBA fan in this city of Chicago or anywhere else going forward, keep your ass in your seat. Stop touching people and don't try to be a part of the show. Because one of these players is going to make your ass part of the show. Time for some commercials. You ever been outside of Chicago? Outside Chicago. Outside. 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 Where we at? So growing up a Bulls fan, I was uh, privy to a a bunch of things, right? Premium play, um, excellence, and consistently excellent. During the Bulls-Jordan years especially, you knew Michael was going to play damn near every game. And you knew Pip was going to try to try it out there, play every game before the back injuries and all that other stuff. Horace Grant. Like, you knew your crew was going to be out there. You also knew after about 87, 88, like, oh, shit, this dude is about to run the league and run it for real, for real. So you knew MVPs were coming. And Michael Jordan was the first athlete that I really realized that there can be greatness fatigue that can set in, that that you can get so desensitized to how outstanding a player is or a team is that you just – you know, it becomes mundane. I mean, we saw it with the Spurs for a decade and a half and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, you know, we used to have this conversation before Kobe passed away. Uh, but with their careers mirroring each other and paralleling each other uh, in, ter- in terms of the time that they were in the league, the argument of Tim Duncan or Kobe Bryant, who, who was the better player, used to happen. And of course, you would get the people who would say Kobe, obviously, because Kobe was just a more electric player to watch, and he was an outstanding player. He was one of the greatest of all time. But Tim Duncan's greatness sometimes was taken for granted because it was consistently great, sometimes mundane, always fundamental, always based in foundation, always based in discipline and footwork and all those things. But it wasn't as high-flying. It wasn't, um, you know, boxing out and, Position defense isn't as sexy as a strip and a dunk, right? So you've seen players' greatness get, I won't say marginalized, but you've seen it, you've seen it downplayed because you get fatigued at seeing a certain team or a certain player's greatness year in and year out. So I say that to say this. When Charles Barkley and Carl Malone won MVPs in the years that Michael Jordan was wrapping up his championship runs, here in Chicago, 97 and 98, you thought to yourself, man, it can happen. The player that you think should get the MVP sometimes doesn't get it because of whatever factors, whether it be wins, whether it be um, games played, whether it be fatigue. Like Carl Malone and Charles Barkley, like the year Charles Barkley won the MVP, As a fan, I was like, yeah, I mean, I can understand. Because to me, the MVP means who was the year about? Like, who who had the glow that year? Who who triumphed adversity? Who played at a level that nobody else played at for the entirety of the year? Certain amount of games I think you should have to check into before you can start talking that MVP talk. So we get to today. And Nikola Jokic uh, won the MVP, and he's the back-to-back MVP. And Kendrick Perkins actually pointed out that an uh, American-born player hasn't won the MVP in four years, which is something, you know? Shout-out to Dino Raja and Arvita Sabonis and Tony Kukoc and Oscar and all the, all the, the, the foreign-born players who didn't and did get a chance to play in the NBA. The, the revolution that took place in the, the the mid to late 80s, early 90s, and what we see in front of it. We're seeing the, the, the fruits. We're seeing the rewards be reaped because the natural resources uh, of the game are getting plucked from different continents, different countries all over the globe. So when you come into this year and you see that the, the three front runners at the end of the season 
were all foreign-born players. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. You're like, okay, the game is in a healthy place, both domestically and internationally. But I can't throw the fatigue thing on here because Joel Embiid has never won anything. Joel Embiid, to me, was the MVP of the NBA season this year. And I know I'm going to get it from all the Jokic stands. Let me tell you something right now. I was a Nikola Jokic fan before it was cool to be a Nikola Jokic fan. And it's documented. First, first year or so that I saw Nikola Jokic, I'm like, this dude is different. You got to get in shape. You can't, you know, he can't sustain it for long periods of time. And, and of course, he was part of a trade. If I'm not mistaken, the Doug McDermott trade uh, yielded uh, the picks that got the Denver Nuggets, Yusuf Nurkic, and Nikola Jokic, if I'm not mistaken. So the Bulls are tied in there as well on multiple instances. You can go back to 2011 when I fought with people in this city, left and right, because I was like, I don't, I like, Derek is the MVP, but LeBron did the same shit he did in Miami in year one that he did in Cleveland the previous six, seven years. And he had... He had the number one record in the East. I'm sorry, he had the number two record in the East, if I'm not mistaken, because the Bulls had the number one record. Carlos Boozer and Joe Kim Noah and Tom Thibodeau and the boys. But Derrick Rose won that MVP because he was outstanding, won, and also he was the anti-LeBron. While LeBron was doing the celebrating and the decision and all that other stuff and, and had put on the black hat and went to Miami, Derrick Rose was the quiet, humble superstar, the youngest MVP in the NBA's history, the youngest um, achiever in the NBA history. I mean, there's a Derrick Rose rule because of those first three years of his career. You achieve at that level. You get on an all-NBA team. You, you, you hit, these, um, you hit these, these notes in your first few years. You, you're eligible for the Supermax. You're eligible for a max contract earlier than you should be. It's the Derrick Rose rule. Came from that season. It came from the first three seasons. But in that year, I was like, is it, is it that, that wide of a gap in terms of the MVP? Like, is, is LeBron not the MVP this year? And I got no problem with Derrick being the MVP. He deserved it. So we've seen guys get snubbed and then have the questions roll out after. This one, Nikola Jokic had an outstanding season. Jamal Murray wasn't there all year. But the only thing, well, the couple of things that I'll point out, because it's different than Carl Malone and Charles Barkley getting the MVPs over Michael Jordan. I think that was legit. Michael Jordan fatigue. The voters are like, all right, we got to get this thing to somebody else. This guy's running a rough shot over the league. All right, Carl Malone, he, he's finally ascended to the mountaintop. All right, Charles Barkley. He's been bouncing around for years doing his thing, added a three-point shot to his game. Phoenix is outstanding. Let's give him the, the MVP. With this one, Joel Embiid did not have Ben Simmons all year long. Tobias Harris, you know, Tobias Harris is a really nice player. Tobias Harris is not a number two on a championship contender. Joel Embiid had to battle against injury. He had to battle against, and and the Eastern Conference, by the way, I don't think we've stated what we should be stating about the East the last couple of years. The Eastern Conference kind of caught up. They've kind of caught up. The Western Conference is obviously still outstanding. You got Phoenix, you got Golden State, you got this young Memphis squad, Minnesota's up and coming. I mean, you know, Denver without Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic doing his thing. The Western Conference is still strong. But if you take a look at it, I think the two best players in the NBA are in the Eastern Conference. So that, to me, means these – and Jason Tatum is – on people's heels, right? Uh, Eastern Conference is as good as the West, if not better than the West. So that misnomer that we used to have of, okay, if this was 2017, 2016, 2015, and we're talking about the West, I'd be okay with a guy winning the MVP as the sixth seed in the Western Conference over the guy who was the, what, the three seed, the two seed, something like that, four seed? No, yeah, they're the two seed, if I'm not mistaken. They're two seed. Yeah, check that for me, Jess. But I'd, I'd understand if we're talking five, six years ago, no, Nikola Jokic in the West 
oh, the six seed in the West is better than the two or three seed in the East. That ain't the case now. That's simply just not the case right now. The Eastern Conference is as good as the Western Conference, and Joel Embiid held it down all year. And the biggest factor to me is, I know Nikola Jokic is a next-level big-man passer. Might be the greatest of all time. I didn't get a chance to see Arvidas Sabonis play. Um, the things that I hear about Arvidas Sabonis as a youngster lead me to believe that he rivals the vision that Nikola Jokic displays. Now, of course, Nikola's playing in a different league where big men have to do so many different things, have to be so skilled that, you know, you can't just be a banger and a guy who's backing people down and, and getting 12, 15 points and, and, and really staying on the court very long. So I understand the differences in the game and how his vision impacts the game. But the separation to me is Joel Embiid's numbers were outstanding, much like Nikola Jokic's were. Joel Embiid's team finished higher, I believe, in a better conference, and he's just a better defensive player. He's, 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 he's leaps and bounds better defensively than Nikola Jokic. And I have been a Joel Embiid, I won't say detractor, but I've expected more from him in his career. I, I, I was on record early saying that those two dudes would never win a championship together because nobody was going to make the other dude take his cool off. And those two dudes I was talking about was Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Guess what Joel Embiid did this year? He took his cool off. So this isn't a Michael Jordan fatigue thing. This is a legitimate argument. Now, the problem that I do have is NBA players, and I'm not going act, to act like I'm not going to name them. Steven Jackson went on his Instagram page and said that, you know, the people who are sitting behind these keyboards who have never played the game before uh, should be ashamed of themselves and, and, and they should, the, the, the vote should be taken away from those guys. C- knock it off, Steven. Come on. Come on, man. Like, I'm a I'm a fan of you and Matt Barnes's pod. Like I I'm a fan of his some of his thoughts, right? Like uh, he's a very intriguing dude. He's a fascinating cat. I like listening to him talk. He's got that Port Arthur, Texas drawl. But he went on to say that the 75 all-time greatest players named by the NBA in this last All-Star appearance should be the voters for the MVP going forward. Knock it off. That means that those guys would have to cover, talk about, and watch the league as extensively as the people who are voting on the league award now. I know, Clay Thompson a few years ago when he lost out on that money because he got voted to the, I was it? He didn't get voted to any All NBA team, and he lost out on something crazy like forty million dollars because of the max contract that he had coming up. I thought that was a travesty. When you are impacting financial futures and legacies in that manner, I, I, we can look at it, right? But when we're talking about an MVP award, yes, I know it impacts legacies. I know it impacts financial futures. But this wasn't something where it was like, yeah, not Nikola Jokic at all. I think this was a close race. I think Joel Embiid should have won the MVP. I'm not historically mad that Nikola Jokic did, although if you take a look at the two-time winners, the back-to-back winners, I should say, in league history, there are two outliers. <laughs> and one of them is Steve Nash, and the other one might be Nikola Jokic. What has to happen now, Nikola Jokic has to go on and win a championship, and he got to do it quick, fast, in a hurry. He on that Dirk Nowitzki time now, boy, where it's like, okay, you're nice, but you're going to have to win some. And then Dirk ran into the 2011 Miami Heat, and he won some. So Jamal Murray will be back. I think Mike Malone is an outstanding coach. But yeah, Bulls fans, we've seen this happen before. We've seen it happen. Late 90s, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, they get their MVPs. Joel Embiid's just going to have to do it again. The big man went out there and and played uh, a longer season <laughs> than a lot of people expect him to. Because let's face it, we always look at Joel Embiid like, all right, is he going to give you more than 55 games? He went out there and did that. He played in an MVP level without the second best player on the team the entire season. And the 76ers thrived in an Eastern Conference that I think is better than the West. So is it a travesty? Is it a stick up of the of the epic proportions that people are talking about on Twitter? Nah. You know why it isn't? Because Bulls fans, we've seen it before. Charles Barkley called Malone. And now you can throw into that ring of names. 
Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, and Nikola Jokic? Yeah, that's what it is. It's the full goal, baby! Want to thank everybody for spending time with us here on episode 101 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. We didn't have any guests today, so we don't have to thank anybody. But the voicemail line is always open for you, 773-359-3103. And I heard John Yastrzemski chastising his voicemailers uh, the other day. Right, listen, you guys, I'm not throwing anything on there that isn't quality. So step up your game. The same way John is telling his people in New York to do that, I'm telling y'all to do it as well. I believe in you. The summer is coming, right? The weed's going to be better. The, the, the wine's going to be flowing. Like, get yourself in a, in a vibey atmosphere and then dial the voicemail line. Whatever's got you got on your mind, it's cool. We're, we're here for you. 773-359-3103 is the phone number. As always, we'd like to thank our production staff, the shadowy figure known as Steve Cerruti and the active Jesse Lopez. And we will have another name that we'll be adding to that thing coming on Thursday. Um, so stay tuned. We will be back on Thursday, wrapping up the White Sox Guardian series, the Cubs Padres series, and whatever else is happening in the world of sports in the city of Chicago. I'm reading about Justin Fields and how nobody wants to be him. And, and you should think, I read Rick Tellinger's piece saying, think again if you want to be Justin Fields. Now, nah, I wouldn't have to think twice. I'd be a good-looking millionaire. You're a 20-something-year-old in Chicago <laughs> with the summer coming? Mm-mm. Hey, sign me the F up, all right? So we can talk about that when we get back on Thursday as well as all the other things. Thank you so much for doing everything that y'all do for this podcast, whether you're downloading it, sharing it, subscribing to it, rating and reviewing it, doing anything that you do. We truly appreciate it. For the production staff of Steve Cerruti, Jesse Lopez, I am Jason Goff. Thanking you for listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. Brought to you by The Ringer and, of course, Spotify as the gang. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and be safe. Are and you kidding me?